Thanks for logging on to the No Referees podcast. This is a special one today with comedian Damon Williams. In part one of, of this interview with Damon Williams, he talks about Chicago lands, uh, favorite food restaurants, some of the places that he likes eating the hood. He talks about some cool stories from back in the day, growing up in the in the game of uh, comedy. He also talks about some of the parallels uh, that athletes and comedians have. And of course, he talks about his time being the opening act of the legendary Kings of Comedy tour. Uh, so sit back and enjoy this part one of this interview with Damon Williams. Hope you enjoy it. Peace. Welcome to the No Referees Podcast, where we have unpenalized conversations with sports personalities on industry news, their grind, the game, and much more. Please check us out on our social media pages at No Referees Pod for up-to-date info on the show. No rules, no texts, no whistles. This is No Referees Podcast. Welcome back to the No Referees Podcast. I'm your host, Eversaka Joby, bringing you another semi-quarantine edition of our show. As always, you can find us on our social media pages at No Referees Pod and on our new YouTube channel, No Referees Podcast. Today, we got a very, very special guest today, Windy City's finest. He's the host of Laugh Tonight with Damon Williams, a Damon Williams production available on Urban Flicks TV. You've seen him on Death Comedy Jam. You've seen him on Common View, P. Diddy's Bad Boys of Comedy, and the Tom Joyner Sky Show. He has, all, has almost as many years in the game as I've been alive. <laughs> you, can, you can find him on Instagram at Damon Williams Comedy and on his Twitter page at Damon Williams. Mr. Da 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 da. I know I ain't say that right. Mr. Damon right. Williams. Mr. Damon yeah, Williams. <laughs> yeah, those that know know what you mean. <laughs> How you doing, sir? Man, chilling, man. Like you say, semi quarantine. And um, as I right before I jumped on here, we was actually back out in the world and went for some essential runs. And then we noticed that some non-essential so-called designated spots are open. Like you right. can be outside the Peppies now. And <laughs> go inside the PetSmart. My wife just got a dog right before the quarantine. And uh, so that's our new thing. Uh, we got a baby, a fur baby. Oh, wow, man. Congratulations on that. And I know that's keeping you busy. Yeah, man. But, you know, I'm an old throwback gangster. Now I'm a domesticator. Right? I'm a <laughs> so so you mentioned Peppies. You know, I'm from Texas. I just recently moved to Chicago a few uh, less about this time last year. Most people okay. was like, yo, you got to try yo, pizza. Giordano, Giordano. One of my friends said Gulliver's. Tell me what Damon Williams' favorite pizza place is in Chicago. Uh, see, it's tricky because I, my, my dietary restrictions, I, I no longer eat the swine. But when I was porking it, Geno's East. Geno's uh, East. Because Geno's East is the, the original pan pizza of Chicago. It's the original Chicago-style pizza. It's a deep dish, but the sausage is on top of the, of the sauce. You understand? Like, you know, it's a slab of meat, and it's, it's, and it's this thick, and, it's, and it comes in a skillet. You know what I'm saying? So back in the day when we were, like, you know, in elementary school, you go downtown, you catch the train downtown, and you go to Geno's. That was part of the lick. So Geno's my first choice. Now, um, Giordano's is good. Um, 
if you want to go hood pizza though, the best is Italian Fiesta. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> yeah. And by hood piece, I mean, that, that had that, that, you know, that's the piece that I grew up on. Like my, my mother, there, when they came home late, they bring home some Italian fiesta to pacify the fact that we was left home while they was out in the tavern somewhere drinking. So, yeah. <laughs> they they pacify us with the, the thing. My, the, speaking of the little doll we got, she always loved to be up under me now, so she's hitting my cords and everything. So, anyway. All good. You know, I, 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 um, I go to the Geno East over on the uh, Geno East on the verse on the Versi, and okay. they're the very first place I ever had uh, spinach mozzarella sticks, and uh, they got those joints be fire. Oh man, yeah, and see that's that's the combination of uh, balance and good and evil because the green the, the spinach you know is help your metabolism, but that cheese gonna clog you up. So you're gonna have good ingredients, but they're gonna be stuck inside you. <laughs> hey, you know, one while I was staying on Chicago food, you know, I went to a, a place in I, when I first got to Chicago. I lived in Inglewood and uh, with some family, and I started experiencing food I never had before. And can you explain to me the French fries with sauce, like the little barbecue sauce or the, the, the mild man, sauce? They call it mild barbecue. sauce. They call it's it mild man, sauce, man. Hey, hey, when I hear when I think of mild sauce. I think of like Taco Bell, you know, so soft. Yeah. Barbecue no, sauce for the twang, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mild sauce, it, it originated like with Leon's Barbecue. Uh, that's one of our initial barbecue pioneers, Leon's and Lamb's. And they had barbecue sauce either hot or mild. So mild sauce eventually migrated its way from ribs to the fries. And now you soak everything, including the bread. Um, and then Harold's, you know, made it famous. Uh, once they started putting mild sauce on the wings, it became a phenomenon. All right. So one more food question, because everybody wants me to ask a Chicago guy. Chicken, Harold's, Harold's, JJ Fish, or Sharks? Which which one, if you had to choose one? Oh, no, that, that's, a, that's a bad even competition. That's like saying, <laughs> that's like saying, you know, the, the, the Bulls versus the, the Pacers <laughs> when Mike was playing, you know. Um, no, basically, because that's, that's just a shot at Reggie Miller. I never liked that guy. Um, but here we go. Uh, you you want to compare the real Civil War of chicken is divided with the North and South. Uh, the North north side, well, not the North, the West side versus the South side. Okay, and that's Uncle Remus versus Harold's. So, West side is sweat. Uncle Remus got Harold's faded, and South side is where Harold's is the bomb. I, I personally lean toward Harold's because growing up initially, they were the greatest. You know what I mean? You know, now you got so many franchises, so the quality control, and it's not always black owned. So, you know, you can't have what's the name now? I put it like that <laughs> frying chicken per properly. You know what I mean? Just like they in Sharks and they in J&J's. You know, it's. You gotta go to a black-owned establishment to get good fried chicken. Let's not let them appropriate the culture in every area. So I pick Harold's, and then I say Uncle Remus, and then of those other two, uh, I really don't even do chicken from J and J's or Sharks. I prefer the fish. Oh, okay. Well, the very first time I had fried chicken when I came to Chicago was not even Harold's. Was at Sharks, and they had like this little season. I was like, damn, this season bomb. So they trying to kill black people with lemon pepper, man. I don't know what's in lemon pepper, but that's the seasoning that you experience. And I never heard of lemon pepper until they took over the sharks and such. 
lemon pepper could, probably contains more sodium than pepper. Because, <laughs> you know, the lemon is there. Look, this damn dog, man. <laughs> that's funny. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's that lemon pepper. That's what you're talking about. But anyway, I prefer Harold's. And, and then between J&J's and Sharks, I would lean toward J&J's because they got the catfish steaks. I think they both have them now. But get the catfish steaks, not the fillets. The catfish steaks. All right, I'm gonna yeah. try. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try that. The catfish steak. It sounds bomb. You know, I'm from Texas, so I know all about that. That 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 catfish. Even though I'm a salmon yeah. guy, but uh, I definitely sound good enough to try. We eat a lot of salmon too, man. My wife is a pescatarian, so it's fish, fish, fish around here all the time. So salmon is a staple <laughs> in our diet. Smoked salmon with my eggs. Salmon. If they come out and say the salmon is killing people, I'm out of here. <laughs> just just like yeah. that. Beef. Just like that beet juice, huh? Exactly. <laughs> like that oh, man. You heard the beet juice story. <laughs> yeah, like that beet juice. I think, hey, look, it made me think of the beet juice of that red walls from the story you told on your show. We'll get to that Absolutely. later. <laughs> <laughs> so, brother, I want to, you know, uh, here on the No Referees podcast, everything's unpenalized. No rules, no text, no whistles. So we have our guests come on, and they tell stories from their background and their come up, and you got a great, great story. Uh, I want to take it back a little bit from – Back in the day, uh, when you were the sports kid growing up, you're super active. I see a lot of stuff on your social media that you attempt to do with your wife. Uh, but uh, uh, give me the first story you had, the first time you had an interaction with a referee. First time you was like, ref, you, you terrible, or, or ref, you trash, or something like that. You know, give me, give me a, a story from back in the day. Well, my first personal experience with refs actually came with my son playing ball because growing up, I just played, you know, sports – at the local park, we played in the backyard. I didn't really start even hooping until, to be honest, I was an adult when I really was running whole courts and things of that nature. Um, and that's a shame to say in Chicago, but you know, we played 21, we played, a, you know, we had a hoop up on the garage, but organized sports, I never really participated because I think I got frustrated early. Like in fifth grade, I tried out uh, at this Catholic school and this coach didn't, didn't pick me, but he picked his son. And I know I wasn't great, but I, I was better than him. Um, and so that kind of scarred me for tr uh, trying out organized sports. But as far as uh, being a parent, you know, you know how to, you see them, them, them parents, man, that sports dads, they be going crazy. And my son's mother was even worse than me. She was rabid when it came to sports. <laughs> she would run up and down the court along with the team sometimes, you know, it's like, like a referee, a damn self. Um, but my son had a few bad calls, man. And that's when I had my interaction with refs as a parent. So my son, seven years old, he plays basketball. And as a, a coach myself, well, I've been coaching now 15 years um, in the NBA and in college, you know, it takes a lot out of me to not to sit there and just kind of be quiet. You know, tell me, tell me about, you know, Damon Williams, the comedian sports dad, when you were sitting there and a bad call or something like that happens. Well, it was one time, man, when my son, this is one particular move, he fell off his, he lost his footing, so he fell. But he maintained his dribble, okay? And the whole time he was stumbling, he fell, he was on his back, but he kept his dribble going and he stood up and, and was proceeding. And they called a uh, travel. I'm like, that ain't, no, that ain't no travel. He never stopped dribbling. You know, so it was almost like Curly from the Gold Trap. I was really mad at that particular, that, that sticks out of my mind because it was so cold because he was he playing bitty ball. He was a little boy, you know? So for him to have a presence of mind to keep his dribble going while he was you know, reestablishing his balance and getting back to his feet. And they call him travel like that ain't no travel, goddammit. That's that was brilliant, you know. So we've had, but when he was on a traveling team, man. So we had from from bitty ball all the way up to high school. My son played ball, and we were avid uh, fans and parents. 
Oh, you ever see one of them fans, I mean, one of them uh, parents that just got out of control? Like, dude, bros, chill out. Yeah, well, you know, I've, I've seen it because we went to AAU tournaments. So, of course, you know, those those parents were like, you know, coaching for, for income. They was like, you know, this kid got to make it because this is how we going to come up. You know, we was having fun playing sports. You know, we had hopes. There wasn't nobody trying to, you know, groom an NBA salary. Uh, so some of them parents would get all the way out of control. And then there was another thing they did, man. So my son, for nostalgia's sake, I always had a camcorder and a tripod, and I record all his games. So, and he would have some great highlights. You know, there's a highlight reel of my son, uh, Damon Williams, Morgan Park uh, Academy basketball player. Look it up. It's got all his stats and everything when he was still in, um, like, eighth, maybe early high school, I believe. But anyway, I'm doing this so that when we get older, I can look back and show him his games, and we could review the games and have fun with the game. Well, you know, he was mouthing them, you know, a couple times, you know, he hit a couple of buzzer beaters. It was this little tournament out west on the west side. And so, you know, we was, oh, and it was, he was the star of the team. And, you know, so then we played this other team, and we lost, and we was losing, and they deed him up. You know, they, they, they basically put the boxing one on him um, just to stop him from playing or, you know, highlighting. And, and so we lost, and the parents, man, was like, yeah, you put that camcorder away today, can't you? You know, it was taunting me for recording my son's life. You know, being a you know an involved parent. Yeah, but he ain't gonna need no highlight reel from here. Shit, we gonna show him about that. He gonna put that camcorder down today. That's ignorant. <laughs> that you almost know, that that that's the one time I already actually fight in a game as a parent. You know, I'm you know, <laughs> but I had to maintain my composure. Plus, I would have been outnumbered because we came from the south suburbs and they was a West Side team, so none of them parents weren't gonna have my back. I'd have been ass out, <laughs> <laughs> ass out like a bug. <laughs> so, Mr. Williams, I want to stay right there with your family. Uh, you know, these times being quarantined. Uh, I, I follow you on your social media page. I see a lot of stuff you're doing with your wife. Um, y'all painting the house. Y'all doing hula hoop challenges. All this kind of cool <laughs> stuff. You know, what have you learned during this time being at home, not on the road? You know, with your family and just doing different projects and things of that nature. Well, the first thing, all of that came about like maybe two or three weeks in. The first two weeks was like you know the relationship test. You know, because. It was still cold, first of all, in Chicago, so there was no outdoor activities, no desire to go outside. Uh, and, you know, we were together the entire time because it was scary. You know, I had lost an aunt in the very beginning of this situation. My Aunt Dorothy, may she rest in peace. So, you know, my mother was sick. My brother was in the hospital from COVID. So we were, like, confined. We were like, man, we ain't going nowhere. You know, we was like, forget it, you know. So, but that's a relationship test because there's only so many things you can do within four walls, you know. Um, and I tell people that, you know, brag about, you know, well, you know, you shouldn't have no problem. Me and my wife been together 25 years. Like, yeah, y'all been together all them years, but you ain't never been together all these hours. Understand me? Hours straight in a row. For the first two weeks, that's 336 straight hours. You ain't never been with your spouse 336 straight hours in a row. No job, no sports, no outside. It's just you and her. So that's when I said, you know what? We were starting to sit around. We was lounging in the recliner. We was watching Netflix. We weren't moving around. And at the end of the day, you feel, you know, useless. And, and it kind of bothers me. So it threw my sleep patterns off. Um, and, you know, if you're just sitting around, you lounge, you don't take a shower till like 10, 11 o'clock at night. My wife, you know, she got hair and wasn't getting her hair done until she figured out she knew how to do it because she's a stylist. So the first two weeks, we were about to be a couple of fat, funky zombies around here. You know, no sleep, not moving around. So we decided, let's get busy. So my wife is a former uh, fitness uh, trainer uh, for group fitness. 
And so we just, she ordered a couple of um, Amazon items for us to work out around the house. She ordered the hula hoop. We had some jump ropes. Uh, we had a squat rack because one of our friends, Jim, had closed. And I got a bench. So we just started you know, doing a circuit in the house. And then we started recording it so we can encourage other people to just move around. Because if you move around, you know, your endorphins kick in and, and you feel a little bit better. You feel more accomplished. And, you know, it makes the night better because, you know, you did. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, my, no. whole, my whole thing, Look, that my whole, that, my that, whole mission. That, that weekend you was talking about, not that, that during yeah. the weekend. <laughs> yeah, I was just a weekend on the weekend. <laughs> and, and see, my whole thing was to keep the peace so later I can get a peace, you know, and that's a whole other challenge because you got to give me on eggshells because one false move in the house when y'all locked in and, you know, you're already on edge and now the night ain't going to go right, you know what I'm saying? So. I'm waking up, baby. Want a little salmon? Want some eggs? You know, spinach in it today. Hey, you, you, hey, you, you was a, uh, you was a uh, vacu vacuuming the uh, doing the vacuum. You were talking Va vacuum cleaner line. <laughs> yeah, you got quotes from all my jokes. I like it. I like you did your homework. I tell yeah. men, I tell guys, do a little housework, man. Run the vacuum cleaner, go a long way. You want to come home, see some vacuum cleaner lines? You might get some rewards. The Simple Pour is a beverage concierge service specializing in creating flavorful crafted punches for all of your events and needs. From their house favorites to the custom creations, they have a beverage that's going to satisfy every taste bud you have. Certified mixologist Kevin Barber literally pours his heart into each beverage. You have the individual 12-ounce bottles, or if you want to step it up to the big boy gallon. Some of the heavy hitters on the menu include To Kill Your Blues with that fresh citrus, Fan favorite, Green Goblin, and my favorite, Henny Punch. No Referees Podcast and a Simple Pour have mixed up a new drink for you. Enjoy 15% off your entire purchase by logging on to the website, thesimplepourhtx.com. Enter promo code NOREFEREES15 at the time of checkout. The Simple Pour. Simple name, extraordinary taste. Uh, through this all, uh, man, is that first of all, we have a great combat compatibility, but I also learned that um, if I had to resort to a life of crime, I'd be okay uh, getting caught as long as I don't do a felony because I could do house arrest. I could, I could, I figured it out. You could put the, you could put the bracelet on me, baby. I'd do a, a misdemeanor. I'll take a chance. <laughs> yeah, you'll be at, you'll be at home going from the couch to the bed to the kitchen to the backyard, and you'll be fine in that little one hundred uh, square feet little spot. Like we've been for the last five weeks, because we seriously <laughs> have taken um, you know this precautions that they suggested and recommended. And I was also a spokesperson for you know stay at home for the city of Chicago. We did a campaign with Leon Rogers and a bunch of other guys um, to to encourage people because people were out when it was really still much more risky. Uh, and it seems as though, you know, because the weather broke, people feel like it's gone, gone, but it ain't gone, gone. But, you know, you can't at least live your life. But the thing that we had to remember once the weather got better is you can still go outside. You know what I mean? You can feel nature. You can ride a bike. You know, I started riding my bike. Uh, we started with the dog. We started taking the dog on walks. And so nature is a beautiful thing. And it gave us the perspective, man. It's a reset, you know, because I was on the road, like you say, living out the suitcase every week. So I have my home set up comfortably and we tried to improve the little situation. And it ain't no mansion or nothing. But, you know, if you improve your environment, then it makes it love. And I never got a chance to enjoy my TV and my, 
I reclined it because I was on the road so much. Yeah, man, I, I appreciate just the work that you do, you know, out here in the community, you know, sharing some good positive stuff on your social media. I, I love your follow. Like you said, uh, I follow your, your stuff that you're doing online that we will get into a little bit. Um, but I just want to say, you know, I commend you and I say thank you for giving us some positivity out here uh, during these tough times. Yeah, and it's tough times, man, have gotten tougher for me personally because I don't know if you saw my recent post. My son, who is a social activist, he's an organizer, uh, he's a mentor uh, and a, a spoken word artist and things. He has a podcast. He's a he's a renaissance man, but he's all about his whole goal from maybe eighth, ninth grade was to become a person that could help make our community better where he grew up, south side of Chicago. So he has a, uh, he and another um, bunch of people have a collective called Let Us Breathe. And so they are very active with, um, like I say, mentoring. Uh, sheltering families, uh, free meals, uh, clothing, things of that nature. And so they were out and there was a peaceful protest and they were trying to join into the protest and 10 minutes within joining, the police got real aggressive with them and started snatching on people and it was on the news. They got beat down and, you know, beat in the street and stuff like that. So I'm really now focusing my energy on advocating for even more restrictions and more oversight for the police brutality issue in, in Chicago and around the country. So that's gonna be my mission. Because it's come to my doorstep. And I was already, you know, behind the, the movement, but I'm, I'm trying to kind of spearhead it. So there'll be a lot of talk about that in the days going forward as far as community concern. Because as a grown man, and you yourself know this, you should not be fearful when a, a, a policeman gets behind you when you know you ain't done nothing. But you still get that, uh oh. You know, why should you say, uh oh, when you're on your way home from, you know, from getting tacos? You know, you ain't done nothing, but you see them lights behind you. Even if they ain't got their lights on, if they following you, you're hoping you're not next and gonna get pulled over. This don't escalate. And there's some dude that's overzealous or overworked and overstressed. I understand because I know police officers as well. And their feedback has been, you know, we out here getting our, our, you know, our bus handed to us because. You know, the mayor threw us under the bus and blah, 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 and, you know, and police are catching hell. So they overworked. They've been essential workers throughout this. So, you know, the snap button is easy to, to kick off, but that don't mean you're supposed to, you know, abuse me with your authority, flat out. Yeah, um, I got a quick little story to tell you about Chicago police because I've only been here for, for less than a year. And um, kind of you said... When you get in your car, you know, a policeman gets behind you. You never know what's going to happen. Just going to get some food or whatever. So um, I got pulled over, actually, um, over near United Center. And I put I posted the, the video on my IG story. I'll send it to you. Uh, I'll, DM, I'll, uh, I'll text it to you. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I was really kind of taken back by, you know, I'm from Texas. I got Texas plates on my car. Um, I drive a nice car. I drive an Audi. And uh, they pulled me over. And uh, it wasn't just one cop, wasn't just two cops, wasn't just three cops. It was 12 cops. Um, and I'm a father, again, of a, a, a seven-year-old son. And it's like maybe like seven, eight o'clock. And I hadn't got a chance to tell my son his prayers yet. Now, you tell him his prayers every night. And so that was like the most fearful time I've had with a run-in with the police because I didn't do anything. You know, they pulled me over and I had a cop at my front of my car, the back of my car to the left wow. of me in the drive, to the right of me. And the only thing they kept talking about was, yo, where the guns at? Where the drugs at? Where did this that? Why is it like that in your car? Uh, this and the third. And I, and I gave him my state-issued work ID. I said, sir, I'm a coach at a, the largest university in town. I'm a public figure. Um, I understand yeah. I have out-of-state license plates, but I'm not engaged in any of the stuff you're talking about. 
some of the, you know, he understood that, you know, come other college, had to, they, they, and the, the crazy thing about it, they were dressed in like regular jeans and uh, like a little vest. Oh, yeah. You know, like yeah, the jump out boys got you. Right. So, <clears throat> so that, you know, <clears throat> so that maybe, you know, 10, 15 minute, 20 minute interaction with them, you know, all I kept thinking about with all the stuff that's going on in the country, you know, I didn't get a chance to, to tell my son his prayers. It this, you know, I'm gonna just be another statistic. So I was really, really shook up by it. I posted it on on Instagram and had a lot of a lot of feedback. You know, people like, you know, say something to the mayor or write in. I was just like, you know what, I didn't want to bring more to to myself because like I said, I, I do have a public job and I just didn't want, you know, I just wanted to spread the you know, this was like three months ago. You know, it wasn't even recently. So you know, so yeah, I understand. And, then, and seeing that imagine you, a law-abiding citizen, you know, upstanding person, you know, a figure in the community. Imagine if you're not that person. Let's say you're not a, you're not a, a drug dealer, you're not a, a criminal, but you don't have the, the credentials to state who you are and what you are, and they naturally assume because you're riding in a nicer car in the area you're in that you own one, and they're just going to harass you for no reason, and that should not be possible, and there should be consequences to that, and that's the end that I'm working for. In fact, I posted a video because I'm trying to locate this officer who I'm specifically an African-American officer that put his hands around my son's neck and took him to the ground. I need to discuss this with him, not from a standpoint of getting even or revenge, but I need to get the, the mindset and the mentality that he was under. Also, what my son, he felt did to provoke that reaction from him so that we can express that to our, our other protesters and our other activists, how to avoid the situation from escalating. Because like I said, they don't edge, they've been essential workers through this whole situation. And I'm not, I'm not excusing them. I'm, I'm, I'm providing some empathy or sympathy for their circumstances, but there's no excuse because you sworn to do a particular duty. There's no reason to harass people based on skin color or the kind of car you drive. So those issues have to be addressed. And I don't know how many generations down the line before this gets turned around because it's not going to happen overnight. But the fact that the, there's so much scrutiny on it, you know, at least they'll be concerned about the consequences. Until we create consequences for the action, like you kind of let them off the hook in your circumstance because, you know, no harm, no foul, but they probably did that to 10 more brothers that day. I'm not saying you're wrong because you have your own personal decision and your own personal sacrifices and what's at stake, uh, but let somebody else take the mantle next time. You know, you don't have to be the one driving it, but, you know, there's, there's mechanisms. But my point is there has to be consequences, and we all have to try to stand up to to that situation so that it doesn't happen to the next person down the line, which could escalate it and somebody don't make it home to pray with their son. You know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. Yeah, yes, I appreciate sir. that. Um, yep. So I'm going to switch, switch gears a little bit real quick. Please, yeah. Let's look. While your police officer fans stop watching. <laughs> let's, let, I'm going to switch gears to something real quick that, that, that hit me from a guy from the South. Um, the Chicago winner. I know what one, 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 one of your jokes you mentioned. You know, uh, uh, homeless people. You know, they got they, they're gonna be let back inside because it's too cold. And, yeah, they go uh, home. They winter. go home in the winter. Uh, for me, this past winter was my first winter in Chicago, and I have family came in town for All Star Weekend, and that weekend happened to be the coldest weekend in Chicago history, and so and, uh, it, it was like so mind blowing that you know you, you know you hear about the wind chill. It's a windy city, blah, 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 blah. But, man, talk about this, this Chicago cold and, like, why is it so different from everywhere else? 
Well, from from a meteorological standpoint, I can't give you specifics, but I know we on I, 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 I want that. I want. I want from a, from a, from a brother standpoint. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm gonna give it to you, man. The thing about Chicago, first of all, um, it's so unnecessary. Our winters are beyond winter. They're unnecessary. It's it's not necessary for you know it gets so cold where you could throw water out and, and it could turn into ice crystals before it hit the ground. And, you know, and like, I mean, that day in particular, it was cold enough for that. Uh, and I was about to say, you had a mild winter for your first winter until I remembered All-Star Weekend. And it was not that cold before or after. That was the Lord's way of saying to all of the, uh, the, the, the hoochies who came, the gold diggers who thought they were going to come with their backs out and their little toes showing to put on some damn clothes when you come to Chicago. Um, but it was crazy. That was a, a really, we had a big show downtown that, that weekend and it was really, really cool. There's no explanation for it. There's no excuse for it. But what it does do is it, it separates the meat from the strong because you won't survive this place if you don't protect, prepare yourself. And nothing, we all risk our lives because everybody that um, got a car, they think their car is cool. But if your car stops, well, you're not dressed for the bus stop. You ain't got on bus stop clothes. You ain't got on two layers with long johns, two pairs of socks, boots. You and your car thinking it's all gravy. Your ass will die in 90 minutes if your car stopped on a day like it was in February. <laughs> That's my trick on it. <laughs> yeah, you ain't lying. It was, hey, I bought my first pair of uh, leather boots the uh, the wearing the snow. Cause I got just like little <laughs> Nike, little Nike Air Max and stuff like that. Oh, no. And I... My friends are like, yo, you got to get some leather boots. Like, some Man, leather. you need some boots with a lining and some, <laughs> some, with a sole under it because that, that cold penetrated start at the feet. You know, so you ain't never, we used to, and then we used to have to walk to school in that, man. And that, they would not close the schools for cold. They would only close the schools for an extra amount of snow. So if it was two degrees, schools would still be open. And, you know, you had to wrap up and how you faced. You look like the Taliban. Okay? You don't have nothing out but your eyeballs. And they send your ass to school, and we used to walk, like go to school. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm serious. This is child abuse. So there wasn't there like no snow days, like off or nothing like that. Snow days, yes, but not cold days. I ain't never been. Have you ever been out off school because of cold? <laughs> I don't remember never getting a cold day unless it was like 30 or 40 below when nothing else was open. But they didn't close the schools because you know that's funding. A day <laughs> off is no more dollars coming in, so they sent that little sacrifices asses. Out there in the in the elements. <laughs> That's funny. Being out there in the elements, uh, I want to talk about sports real quick. You know, I'm from Dallas. You see right there, I got that Cowboys hat. You know, uh -huh. I, I I know you from Chicago. You know, the Bears. I see you yeah. know you got your White Sox fancy on your on your Instagram. You got the, you got the White Sox shirt on. South Side. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm South Side and I'm Chicago. You know, <laughs> South Side with the eye. And I, you know, if I have to pick a Chicago team, I'll go with the Sox. But I'm not a huge baseball dude. But I do like going to the games occasionally. That's a good outing. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, what's your question about the sports? Well, situation? I was I was gonna say, you know, what you know, what what, the, what those Bears do. You know what I'm saying? Mitchell Trubisky, you know, uh, out maybe out. You know, the draft just happened. You know, right now a lot of people in Chicago are talking about the last dance. But you know, what what the Bears gonna do this year? Man, see, first of all, you're a cowboy fan, so bless your ministry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're a masochist, just like me. Um, I mean, I had to, I had to detach myself from the Bears because of the, the the Kaepernick situation. So I didn't really get a chance. The good season we had when we should have went when the, the doink the doink season, I didn't really watch a lot of it because I was trying to be in solidarity with the people. 
Um, and then we had the last season as it came back, and we really still didn't have, you know, open, um, I say, permission from the from the movement to, to go back. But I, I glimpsed, you know. Um, and, and now I don't even know what they did because I didn't think football was going to be uh, possible this year. I tell you, though, know, let's switch gears off to basketball. How the hell the NBA going to come back and not bring all the teams back? Did you see that? Yeah, I saw that the other day. And uh, so I think the yeah. reason why they can't bring everybody back is because, shit, I mean, if every team ain't going to be in it, what's the point of having them all back? Because you everybody get in it and then they have a playoff. Yeah, that's, that's my point is – how some? How you gonna? First of all, how you gonna exclude the Chicago Bulls? I don't give a damn if I record was zero and seventeen, zero and twenty. Come on, man! Listen, let me say this. First of all, we a dynasty. Regardless, you got to get pub for that. I don't care what year it was. Second of all, we the third largest TV market, so they just telling us not to watch. They don't want no Chicago viewers. That's what they trying to tell us. Well, basically, well, I think I think as far as Bulls fans are concerned, because I'm from Dallas, I grew up a Mavericks fan. But so I, I so and I grew up a Cowboys fan, so a lot of them championships you're talking about still got to play the championships. I can't I can't be like other, other Cowboys fans talking about 90, 91, 92, 93. We got in, I can't be. I, so you can't sit up here and say back in, you know, we, we should be getting because Jordan 20 some years ago. Damn yeah, it. I can't. I just said that, <laughs> so I can't say. <laughs> Michael, Mike, hey, but we Michael don't go just, back that far. Now, hold on. We had playoff runs with Derrick Rose. No, nah, I'm talking about championships, though. You, you can't Damn. keep it. Yeah, that's you can't 1998. Treat like, like a minor league team, man, and say some teams come back and don't bring us back. That's bananas. Okay, so. I mean, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't watching the Bulls this year because they suck. <laughs> but I think I should be able to have the opportunity to ignore them is my point. <laughs> so, I think the problem with the Bulls over the last couple of years is that they had terrible management. And so now they got yep. new management in there. They hired uh, 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 Mr. Eversley, you know, first first brother over there to run the, to run the show over there. So I think now they're doing, some, they're doing some different things. So maybe they'll draft different, you know, they'll draft better, trade better. Maybe they'll be interesting again. Because like you said, it's the third largest market. Without yeah. the Bulls, and, you know, without the Bulls, you know what I'm saying? It's just, it's terrible. Let me put it this way. It's more Bulls cash around the country than any other hat in basketball. So let's run the Bulls. That's okay. Man. man so, I, like I know. said, I need the opportunity to ignore <laughs> them. I don't want them to exclude them. It should be my choice not to watch them, not, not be able to. Let me take a time out to tell you about my friends over at Soul Lounge, Houston's premier boutique for the latest fashions. Chinatown Market? Check. BBC? You know they got all that. You know Adidas? Man, they got all of that stuff too. The swag, the footwear, Yeezys, and they got everything. No Referees Podcast and Soul Lounge is partnered up to bring you a special offer for listening to this episode. Go online to soullounghtx.com and enter promo code no rules to get 20% off your entire purchase. That's no rules. All one word, all caps. Soul Lounge. Live what you love. Say right there with the Bulls. You know, what was your take on the last dance and, you know, you – you were coming up in the game during those early uh, 90 years, you know, with the Bulls' yeah. success. 
know, what was it like, you know, for you having your early success uh, and reliving those moments that you saw on The Last Dance? Man, um, The Last Dance was really, it was almost emotional for me because I was a season ticket holder for the Bulls run. I had 10 seasons of the Bulls, all the championship years and the two or three years prior when we were struggling against the Pistons to get over the hump. So, and my sister dated Scottie Pippen. So I, I used to go to the house after the game sometimes, um, you know, so I had direct insight into that whole behind the scenes and how Scotty felt about playing with Mike and, you know, things of that nature. Um, so to watch it to unfold, but to have that, that, that Jordan access, even when I knew them and I know his family, his, his in-laws, the, you know, Juanita's family very well. And I've been to birthday parties for Juanita and all this, so I know them. But I didn't get a chance, a lot of exposure to Mike, but I had a couple of little situations where, you know, that guy that they portrayed him to be came out. Here's a, a quick story. Um, it was her birthday, Juanita's birthday. They had a, uh, yeah, they had a party at a high rise on, on North Lakeshore Drive, and it was a rooftop. And so we were all outdoors on the rooftop, but it was a multi-layered rooftop. So it had a, a little terrace around it. So Mike was coming from the top layer where he was with Oakley and a couple of other people smoking their cigars. And I came in, I spoke to Anita. She always walked me to Mike. You know the comedian, my buddy, Damon? He like, yeah, my man, you know, and discard me or whatever. So anyway, I'm standing around, we'll talk to some people I knew. And um, he comes down the stairs from the top level to the level we were on, and he stumbled. And when he stumbled, he stumbled right my hand was right in the small of his back, and I caught him. Promise you this. And I, you, I wouldn't make this up. And I caught him. He got a big ass back, too, for him to be, you know, he looks wiry on TV. He had a big, strong ass back. And I caught him right in the small of his back, and I kept him from stumbling. And he said, Oh, I'm good, my man. I wasn't going to fall. I'm graceful. He didn't say thanks or good looking. You know, I wasn't about to fall. I'm graceful. I'm like, Man, if you just stumbled and bunched some shit out here, that would have been hilarious. That would have been a better story. But I saved him from that. Wow, hey, you saved Michael Jordan from not his fronts being knocked out. <laughs> yeah, I saved him a trip to the dentist. <laughs> but back Dang. in those days, man, let me tell you, the, the, before the, the first run, you know, uh, when we played the Pistons and we played the Knicks and we were in the old building, the energy and the electricity and that, like, first of all, just the intros, the, the, the noise level when they said, from North Carolina, man, I never forget the chills that ran through you. And I did the shit 82 times, you know, 42 times I say out of 82 games, 41 times a year plus playoffs. But every time they did that intro, when we went from behind and we scored, and they played, da -da 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 hey, that whole era, man, it was magic in Chicago. And it united us and it changed our image. Because prior to the Bulls winning, you may not know this from your youth standpoint, Chicago's reputation was known for gangsters and Al Capone around the world internationally, not just in Chicago. So if you went to Italy, you say Chicago, they like, Chicago. They go, rat, tat, 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 Al Capone. Well, Michael Jordan and the Bulls run changed the whole image of this city internationally. So that I'm proud of. Um, just to see them struggle to get to that point, then to see them win, and then to see them continue to win where we could expect it. You know, it's like, of course we're going to win, regardless how tense they got. Um, that was a magical era, man, and I don't know if the Bulls can ever raise to that prominence again or if any team will have that type of dominance, uh, even though the Warriors came close. But, you know, they it shows that in this era it's hard to keep the squads together and keep them healthy to go on a six-championship run nowadays. So you were – so, damn, you said you, you dropped a few gems right there, some behind-the-scenes stuff. 
So, yeah. what was, so what? So what was another thing? You just watched the last dance. He's saying you was with the, with Scotty behind the scenes that he mentioned that you saw on the last dance. Like, yep, I remember that. Well, the the whole thing about um, with Scotty, the one thing he would ask people, and this might not have been often, but I know I, I had this conversation with him once. We were, and he was like, uh, if you had the chance to play with Michael or Magic, who would you pick? I'm like, Mike, you know, because we, we just, it's the Bulls. He said, not me. You're not all that damn shooting he be doing. And I was like, oh, okay. I didn't look for him from that standpoint. You know, you playing with the greatest, you know what I'm saying? He's like, not me. I'd rather play with Magic, you know, because Magic passed the ball, blah, blah, blah. Mike be doing all this shooting. And so that was, that was an interesting interchange I had when I felt like, okay, I guess I can see your point, but shit, y'all win it. So a lot of, who else going to shoot? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious to ask you what was your thoughts because uh, a lot of stuff that you've done with comedy has been revolved around team and com and camaraderie um, on the road and being a host and having that 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 brotherhood, so to speak. Um, right. What do you think? What do you think when when Scotty didn't go check in the game? You know, you know, back back then, what was your thoughts about that? And and did you know about that uh, that that particular moment, or did you see it for the first time on the last now? I know I was there. Yeah, I was, I was, you know, if that was a home, you know, I don't think that was a home game. But I was, I, I still had tickets during that whole run. When Cool Coach came, I still had my tickets. Right. Um, I was watching and I was disappointed for sure. But we had no idea at the time when it was taking place what the problem was. But we could tell there was some dissension over there. I felt it was, um, you know, he had a right to make that decision. But I think it was, um, it was off base because even. If he came in as a decoy, if they go, if the play is not run for you, you make an excellent decoy because everybody think the ball coming to Scotty. So now you still gonna help the team win. And you know this is a split second play. It's one point seven seconds on the clock. This ain't a whole lot of time to be over here arguing about it. This is the play. This is what the coach called. Yeah, if Mike was here, the ball would go to Mike. Yeah, but you ain't that type of player. You ain't never been a clutch shooter. You know what I mean? You might be a playmaker. You might be a drive to the basket. This jumper had caught on by that season, you know, but you wasn't a clutch shooter. Kukoc was a shooter. And Kukoc had been proven that season already to hit buzzer beaters. So, you know, I get it. I see Scotty's point. But, you know, from a team standpoint, you got to pass the ball, man. You got to pass the, you know, you got to you know, lay on your sword sometimes, just like in comedy. Uh, I'll give you a, a correlation between that. If you're on a show and it's a package, it's a tour. I was an opening act for the Kings of Comedy Tour. So if you're on a show with Bernie, Steve, Sid, DL, they all had to deflect to each other because of, you know, energies and styles. And none, at that time, no name was bigger. They were all pretty much equal going into that tour. Um, but the energy dictated who was the shooter. You know what I'm saying? So Bernie ended up being the closing act. The tour started out with Steve Harvey as the closer and Guy Torrey as the host. After they rotated Guy out and brought in DL Hughley, they added they, they they changed Steve's role to host, which is his natural position anyway. Um, and so you have to deflect. Now, me personally, in that circumstance, I had to learn how to navigate those egos and my position. My position was to come out and begin the tour and bring the people in, get get the room ready. So when Steve come out the host, boom. Then after intermission, they got to do the same thing because people went out and get their food and their drinks and they come back in. He wanted to walk up to them already laughing. And now, ladies and gentlemen, let me bring back Steve. But that meant I went before him, uh, D.L. Hughley, and Cedric. So if one of them had a joke that I mentioned earlier, same type of topic, I would pull that joke out because they, I would hear I would notice they would say something like, Damon just said earlier, blah, 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 blah. Now, I still want to rock my joke because it worked, you know what I'm saying? 
But now if they have to refer to it as something already been touched upon, it's upon me as the opener, so to speak, to, you know, defer that to the headliners. Let them have that moment so that I don't touch the topic. And that's what teamwork is, you know what I'm saying? But the crazy part about it, it became more and more prevalent. I had to keep doing it. I'm like, pretty soon, I ain't gonna have too many jokes left to tell because everybody on these topics. So Bernie had noticed that most of the jokes that I deferred, I deferred to Steve. And he like, man, you did this, he doing that. You did this, he doing that. You know, they weren't getting along. Um, he's like, he ain't going to leave you nothing, is he? I'm like, man, <laughs> all good, Bernie. I got plenty of jokes. I'm only doing 20 minutes total. So you know, it worked out. But I, I recently interviewed Reggie Ballard, uh, Brum Man. And um, he talked about just uh, Bernie. And uh, I mentioned on the interview we did that uh, I, out of all those comedians on the Kings of Comedy tour, you know, Bernie Mac was the one that I kind of like, uh, personally uh, connected with basically because he spoke like me, a guy from the South with like a Southern draw. He say, I say motherfucker. He would say motherfucker. And, you right. know, kind of, kind of way his, his speech pattern was. So that's kind of the reason why not to say that Cedric DL, Steve, and I grew up with Steve Harvey because he had a show in Dallas. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, so I'd have to say that none of them guys were great, but the guy connected, I connected with most was Bernie just because he spoke like me and he talked like me. Well, that's why he ended up being last, because everybody connected with Bernie on that level. Plus, the one thing I'll clarify when I said they were all at the same level, you know, Steve had already had, uh, this was his second series by the time he got on that show. He had the Steve Harvey show, and then he had me and the boys before that. Um, and people knew him from Showtime at Apollo, so he was a household name. He had a show, D.L. had the Hughley's, Sid was on Steve's show, so they all had series. You know, as Bernie said, I don't have a show, but Bernie was known to us and the, the country through movies and not major roles, but just his cameos. But he always, he was still his scene so hard that you remember every role Bernie ever played in a movie. So movie and people's perception versus television has always been bigger. You know, a movie star versus a TV star until now recently, uh, that was two different levels. So Bernie was our guy, you know, so, no matter how much noise they would make for everybody else coming to that stage, and everybody loves Cedric, and DL is, of course, beloved from his comic view days on up, but Bernie just had that down-home connection to people, and they would go bananas. I would go up to the top of the stadium, because we did basketball arenas. I would go up to the top of the stadium just about every time Bernie was being introduced just to see that reaction from the people and feel that thunder and then watch him do his thing, you know, as a fan. I would just sit up in the audience. And, um, man, he's well missed, man. That was my, my big brother of the game, and God bless him, God rest him. And Reggie Ballard, a.k.a. brother, man, uh, prayers up for him. He's good now, but he had to go through heart surgery or some type of procedure with his heart. But he's back, and he said he'll be out on the golf course soon. Yeah, we talked about Excuse talk- my eating. No, nah, you good. I have a lovely man. wife, and she just, she just gave me a very hot – Cheese sandwich, you know, <laughs> I thought it was a pizza. I'll go ask you that. I'll ask some Reggio's or something like that. This some Nito's. They know you can't let a you can't let a grilled cheese get cold. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's funny, man. So I'm sticking right there with 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 with, with uh, comedic stuff and how it relates to sports. I'm gonna get into some of the other stuff you have in a, in a minute, but I I, I definitely want to ask this because, I, like I said to you previously. I com- I liken a comedian to an athlete. How much you guys travel, living in a suitcase every weekend, on the go, 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 go. So when you're sitting there, you know, sitting in your in, the, in your in your your office or in your dressing room, what is your quote unquote game plan? You know, how do you get your set together, and what are the things you're going through to get prepared for a show? 
Well, it's, it's uh, evolved over the years. I used to have a regiment where, you know, I'd get my notepad or I'd have my joke book and I'd look at my master list and based on the audience and the, the, the place, the location I'm performing, if it's the South, the, if it's at the crib, if it's, you know, if it's white people, black people, if it's diverse. Um, and I would bullet point, make a little small bullet point list of the jokes I felt were most appropriate for this particular event. And then I would glance at that before I went on stage so I remember it. Then I have a drink and I hit the stage. Now, I pretty much know, you know, if I go on the, on the stage, what, what, what I need to say is gonna come to me organically. So it's like, I don't even write my jokes all the way out anymore. I used to write jokes out verbatim, word for word. Now I kind of just text myself with a little thought and I know what I've conveyed. It's gonna come out in a funny sense, but I've been doing it long enough and I, I host a lot. So I have a spontaneous uh, ability to be, you know, on the fly. Um, so now I just, you know, I, I, I still might look at like the notes for the day. Cause the one thing I don't like to do is the same show in the same order you know over and over again even if it's the same jokes they don't come out in the same order or they might not if you come see me on a thursday you're not gonna get the same show in that same town by sunday i've probably written three more jokes or did something to incorporate something local so because i like to make the show seem fresh to the people and to myself because if you're just standing there re robotically repeating your jokes then you're not enjoying the time you're not enjoying the craft you're basically working at comedy. And I don't like to consider it work. It's like my, it's my passion, it's my craft. So that's my routine now. I still like, you know, do a little Patron and tonic, you know, just to get the edge off and, and go out there and kill them, man. But I like to have something new evolve from the fact that now I'm doing clubs, so you're there Thursday through Sunday. By the end of Sunday, you should have two or three more jokes or at least worked on one new joke where that new joke started here and it grew to something else. And that's something I recommend young comics do as well. My question I have, I always wanted to know. Uh, welcome to you know, Chicago. Thanks for having me. And you're in Detroit. You ever had a moment like that where you mentioned the wrong city? I mean, it gets to a point where you kind of, you know, if you're working steady at this, you'll get blurry like the Southwest commercial. Thank you, Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, I've had, I had stumbles. I can't think of one particular instance. But of course, that's happened because sometimes, man, you're on this road. I had just gotten into a rhythm these last two years or so where every week I'm on this road and I'm doing clubs and it's Thursday through Sunday. And, you know, so it's, the clubs kind of look alike. They have the same menu at a certain point and your hotel is probably <laughs> not for real. Like the chains, they, they, they basically run the same shit across the board. Funny uh, stipulation, though, the Columbus, Ohio Funny Bone is a part of the chain. I noticed that their menu in the other, like down south in Texas and in other parts of even Ohio, the macaroni and cheese dish was called the Bernie Mac and Cheese because they were named drinks after comedians, but they definitely had Bernie Mac and Cheese. But when I got to Columbus, Ohio, it was macaroni and cheese. Damn. <laughs> where are you like, where y'all what? What's up? How y'all got the same stuff going on? <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> yep, that, that's the red state. <laughs> So I got a question for you, you know, uh, sitting, like you said, you, mentioned, you, sit, in, you sit in the stadium uh, oftentimes uh, when you to, to watch people uh, perform. You're, you're right mm -hmm. now a mentor to a lot of young, young comics. When you see a comic go on stage and just fuck it up, uh, uh, get one of those moments where uh, people will throw tomatoes at them, you know, like they do back in the day, you know. How is that? Have you ever had one of those moments? And if you had, uh, kind of share it for us. 
a moment where I I bomb like that. Yeah, you bomb like that, and then also too, you know, when, when one of your young comics bomb like that, you know, what kind of advice do you give? Well, <laughs> the funny thing is, <laughs> you don't know, understand. There are some sadistic comedians out here. Some comedians relish and enjoy watching other comedians bomb because you know you're gonna recover if you're a real comic. If you're an open micer, then that's expected to happen. But if it's somebody I know that's established and they have a bad set or something go bad, I have nothing to say to them because if I'm still going up, I don't even want to look at you. I don't want to talk to you. I don't have no advice for you. I'm trying to make sure this don't happen to me. Don't come over here with that on you. Don't don't bring that comedy rona to my vicinity. Man, we would not make eye contact with you with your bomb. But then what will happen is we'll all get back in the back of the green room and all laugh about it. But I always try to encourage anybody that goes through something like that. I've had bad sense, but I ain't never bombed where it was like boo and beat it. Cause you know, I come up here in Chicago, grooms you for any situation on the road whatsoever. Plus I host the show time at the Apollo. So I know how to deal with ignorant ass crowds, you know, and, and <laughs> quick story about that. The way I tame that audience is the, 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 the thing I do, right? You know what you mentioned earlier. Well, I was hosting, I had four episodes of Apollo to host. They make the audience line up outside before they let them in for the shows. Now they didn't know who was hosting. They didn't know everybody knew Steve was gone, but didn't nobody know who was replacing them. So I went out while they was in line and went down the line and taught them how to do my chant, like five people at a time, six people at a time, and went all the way around 125th Street on Harlem in Harlem to talk to every one of them audience members. So I they I made friends with them. I was giving I was giving water and shit. It was hot out there, man. So I endeared myself. So any comedian. If you're ever doing a taping, especially if you're nervous or you're new and they don't, you don't know you, go out and greet your audience and make an establish a bond with them in a relationship already because they're going to have them sitting there. They're going to be there an hour or two in advance. So they're already going to be a little edge and grouchy, but they'll be like, he was nice. He came out here and spoke to them. Now, once you establish and you do your shows, always greet your audience on the way out. Make sure you acknowledge the fact that you appreciate it, that they came to your show you shake a hand, and now you got to hit him with the elbow or give him the, your dig from across the room. Uh, appreciate you. But I even go out before my show still sometimes, and I'll record the audience. Like, you know, they have them in line. They be waiting. I'm like, the line going to move quickly. Y'all, don't worry about it. Yeah, thank y'all for coming out, and I'll record it. I'll tell y'all going to be on Instagram. If you ain't supposed to be with somebody, you better hide now, you know, and play with them and give them a pre-show. So I'm a people person when it comes to that. I appreciate people's support. Because it took me so long to get to a point where my name was on the marquee and these people are lined up and spending their money and came out their house to see me. And I want to let them know that I'm, I'm I'm happy I finally got there and I wanted to continue as well. Well, that's a that's a cool story. I've actually been to uh, the Apollo in, uh, in uh, Harlem. Uh, my god brother's a firefighter in uh, New York City and Times Square. And he lives in Harlem on 145 in Frederick Douglass. Uh, okay. So um, I've actually been to taping there on the Wednesday. And, uh, and I didn't I didn't know, you know, growing up, watch Apollo come on Saturday. And uh, I didn't know anything about like taping. I didn't know that it exactly. was live then. And uh, you know, to go to the Apollo, like you said, you wait an hour or two, you know, you come out, you know, you're saying, as, as the host, you're saying, you know, Saturday night at the Apollo, you know, they even come up. I'm like, it's Wednesday. You know what I'm saying? It's Wednesday. One thing I didn't see when I came to the Apollo, I didn't see the Sandman. You know, I, I thought I was going to see the Sandman come out, do a little dance with the thing. I, I was like, right. hey, where the Sandman at? That's what, that's what I grew up seeing, you know, so. 
Yeah, well, you must have picked the night when nobody bombed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but like I, like like you said, you know, uh, uh, I appreciate that, and you just sharing just your personal experience because you know myself, I've been around NBA players and I, I've coached, and you've been around a lot of famous people. You're a super famous celebrity, and but most people that don't get a chance to to shake a hand of a celebrity or, or somebody in public eye. They don't really know what kind of personality they have. You know, they they don't really know. You know, they may think you, they they're, they're uppity, so to speak. And I just right. Shows to your personality how you were raised and brought up to go out there and just mingle with the people. When so many people in your position would never do that. Well, sometimes it's a, a security issue, depending on how big you are. Also, a lot of we we've been taught or you've been observed to see that you have to keep a mystique about yourself. So. For everybody, like, like if I was Chris Rock, I don't think I would go out and meet the people in advance because they're waiting on that moment when you come to the stage. You know, you kind of rob them of that anticipation. With me, they just come to see dudes. Some of them think they come to see Damon Wayans anyway. So <laughs> I look up and I go out there and say, no, wrong Damon. This <laughs> How many times you don't got that in your career? A lot. It still happens. Mostly white people at this point, because you know black people know me from Comic View and Def Jam, and, but still some blacks, uh, some of our people still be like, "Oh, I thought the other thing was Damon Wayans. No wonder why it was a two for one." Thanks for checking out part one of the Damon Williams interview. It was so cool to talk about his experiences, being a host of Kings of Comedy, hosting Showtime at the Apollo, different things of that nature, and of course the iconic food places in Chicago. Also go check out part two, where Damon talks about his entrepreneurial come up, how he got involved with comedy, and some other cool, funny stories. Peace. Thanks for listening to another episode of the No Referees Podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this show and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on social media at No Referees Pod. Till the next episode, we out.